Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's episode, we're kicking off February with our second annual month of pie. That's right, pie school is back in session. We'll start things off with that basic but crucial and hopefully delicious element, the crust. We'll also step into the language lab and introduce a new twist on an old favorite, butterscotch pie. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, do you recall back in episode 61.5 last week, we both were eyeing those brownie truffles from the Weight Rose Monthly Magazine? I do. The vegan brownie truffles from an L.A. baker we had not known about before. Yes. So Matthew Kenny, I went to the grocery store. I got all of the ingredients. I decided I was going to make them, and I was really excited about it. So this particular recipe involved hazelnuts. It involved what is called porridge oats, which I assumed is um, like the steel, the rolled, old-fashioned rolled oats. Would you agree with that? Oh, gosh. We are going to go down the rabbit hole on oatmeal here. <laughs> oh, no. I'm convinced they put porridge oats for the UK audience because I am not used to that phrase. I think, UK listeners, help me out here. So what we consider to be a rolled oat, like an old-fashioned oat, are called jumbo oats here. Mm -hmm. I think a porridge oat would be more like a quick oat. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. All right. I think so. think so. But yes, again, I, I, again, could talk for hours about the oatmeal (laughs) selection here, so. Well, I used old-fashioned oats, and they seemed to work out just fine. Okay, great. It had some medjool dates, some ground almonds, some cacao powder, some coconut. And then one ingredient that it had that I had never used before is called maca powder. And I'm going to spell it for the listeners. It's M-A-C-A. And I wanted to spell it out just to make sure I differentiate. It's not the green tea matcha powder. That's different. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So this is maca powder. Had you ever heard of or used this? Never. It is a brand new one for me as well. So I went to my co-op and I asked the person at the information desk if they had maca powder. And she said, oh, absolutely. It's over in the bulk section. Okay. And I said, what is this? I haven't even heard of it. And she said, oh, you know, it's one of those superfoods that used to be readily available and not very expensive. And then the whole nutritional world discovered it. And now it's skyrocketing in price. So I was just laughing about that. Um, I looked it up on the internet. It is a cruciferous vegetable. It looks very much like a turnip to me. And it is described as a pleasant tasting root. And <laughs> high praise indeed. <laughs> high praise indeed. And you know, I love my root vegetables. I know you so do. Was, it's in your horoscope. Yes. Yeah, kind of excited about it. Um, this particular recipe, he does specify that you could substitute cacao powder. So if you don't want to spend the money or, or try this particular powder, don't worry about it. Okay. So you mash all those ingredients together. You use your cookie scoop to form the little balls. And then the ch- chocolate glaze that goes on top is melted coconut oil, maple syrup, 
cacao powder and a tiny little bit of cinnamon. Okay. And so this was very easy to make. I thought it was super beautiful. I took a bite and I realized that I need to make a new rule for myself, <laughs> which is when using a new ingredient, taste it before you add it to your recipe. Oh no, a, a memorable maca moment. <laughs> a memorable, oh wow, that's a lot of alliteration there. Yes, um, so as soon as I tasted the, the brownie truffle, I thought, oh wow, that is not grabbing me. And so I went and just tasted a little bit of the powder. And sure enough, I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I would not describe it as a pleasant tasting root vegetable. So I mean, what root vegetable can you most closely associate it with? Um, maybe turnips. Yeah, maybe maybe turnips. Okay, you know, all right, um, all right. It was a bit bitter to me. So, uh huh, uh huh. Um, I still wanted to do this sort of brownie truffle idea, so I kept looking, and I turned up a chef named Emma Spitzer. Uh, she looks like she was a winner or one of the top contestants on a BBC kind of you know chopped or good chef type of situation, master chef type of situation. And she made some date, coconut, and cacao bars. And I love it because it only had four ingredients. So it was the dates, the cacao, the dried coconut, and and, and then raw sunflower seeds. Okay. And so again, you just throw all those in the blender. Um, in her recipe, she also used date syrup, and I cut that out. I didn't uh, think that I needed that extra syrup. These were already pretty sweet, I thought, with the dates. Okay. And so I rolled those into bar balls, and um, I thought those were way better. Right. I will post a recipe on our website, and I'm calling these uh, brownie bites. If you take them to an event, I recommend that you not label them as vegan, gluten-free brownie bites. <laughs> because, especially an event with kids. While certainly for the children who are trying to be vegan or gluten-free, that will be appealing. I think overall that didn't grab people as much. I've, I've took them to another event where I just put brownie bites on them and they disappeared. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That was a really fun experience making a couple of treats that I think would fall into our nutritional nibbles category. And I really enjoyed doing that. That's an awesome update. I have an update for you as well. And it also falls into the nutrition category. Um, loyal listeners will remember that when I first moved to the UK, I needed to buy some wheat germ. And not quite understanding the metric system yet, I ended up buying the equivalent of six pounds of wheat germ <laughs> that's right well the first pound is gone <laughs> one down six to go no five to go five pounds to go and it has been six months of you know um granola and listener amy has some great raspberry muffins that i've started making and other type of muffins and quick breads and i'm eyeing literally every recipe with hmm I wonder if I could put a little wheat germ in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad you finally are working your way through that. I know. One pound. I'm really proud. I'm really proud. It feels it feels pretty momentous. So, you know, hang on there. We've, we're chipping away slowly but surely. Speaking of listeners, I do want to give a shout out to all of our listeners who've been posting in our Facebook group, Preheated, with their moist chocolate bunt cakes that we introduced in episode 61 and reviewed in episode 61.5. So thank you to Rob. Robert and Anne-Marie, we thought your Bundt cakes were beautiful. I really enjoyed seeing those pictures. And 
special thanks to Dorothy's, whose um, post cracked me up. It, uh, I thought it was going to fall into the almost edible segment. It <laughs> appeared to be a bit of a fail, but I noticed that she rallied and, and was able to figure it out. Yeah, and you know, um, loyal listener Sarah, my uh, one of my nieces, she's coming to stay with us in May, and she has already requested that I make that cake again. So it has oh, it has yeah. been a very I've made it three times now, and this will be. Uh, this will be another another time. So high on the high on the favorites here in the Cone household. I am definitely going to make it again as well because um, it seems like it was really a good fit for a lot of people. So I need to approach it with fresh eyes, and I I promise to do that soon. Well, Andrea, it is our second annual Pie Month. It feels so very exciting to say that we've been thinking about Pie Month since uh, Pie Month last year, I suppose. And had a great time. So for folks who are just joining us, we're just doing a deep dive into all things pie this month from implements to crust to wonderful fillings and hopefully giving you some pie history and uh, some unique pies along the way. We are going to start with one that Andrea found. It's from Bon Appetit and it is a butterscotch pie with a curry crust. Andrea, I am so intrigued with this pie. Curry and Indian flavors are so huge here in my adopted hometown of London, and butterscotch pie is a really unique flavor. I can't wait. Tell me a little bit more about what drew you to this pie and why you chose it. Sure. Um, one thing I wanted to add, it is uh, in a Bon Appetit from November 2013. The chef who contributed the recipe is Kieran Baldwin, and it looks like she's a pastry chef at a restaurant in New York called The Dutch. So okay. this is her special recipe. What grabbed me was a couple of things. Um, first of all, my husband loves butterscotch, so I thought that would be really fun to have a butterscotch pie because that's one of his favorite flavors. And he is infamous for making food pairing suggestions that just gross me out. Uh, you know, so he, he constantly <laughs> will say something to me like, um, oh, you know, how, let's put some pepper on our pancakes or let's, um, you know, throw some watermelon into this salad, you know, this arugula salad or um, how about some Szechuan peppercorns on those marshmallows? I mean, just the, wow. the most bizarre combinations. And as soon as he mentions something, Something like that to me and I say how disgusting that sounds it usually turns up in the next week or two I'll see a recipe being passed around the internet that everyone's saying you know this is the thing so it always cracks me up that something that sounds unappetizing to me I guess is appetizing to other people so when I saw this butterscotch pie with curry crust I thought okay I love butterscotch I love curry the two together do not sound good to me but yeah. this is another one of these examples that I'm just gonna go on faith that it's going to work out and that just because it might not initially sound good to me, hopefully I've got my fingers crossed, it's still going to taste good. So a couple of things I'd like to point out if you guys are going to bake along with us and we strongly encourage you to do so. Just want to make sure you have these things in your pantry ahead of time. The crust not only involves curry powder, but it also has a teaspoon of fennel seeds. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about that. That reminds me going back to our episode on bizchochicho. Uh, but th that was anise seeds, but that just made me think about that when I saw that in the list there. The steak cookie of New Jersey and New Mexico, the bizchachito. <laughs> That's right. 
It also involves vanilla wafers, which are no problem for me to get here in the United States. But Stefan, I wanted to give you a heads up um, to make sure you're able to get vanilla wafers in the UK. I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, there's a couple ingredients in this that I'm going to have to search out. That's one of them. And the other actually is in the filling, it calls for an envelope of the unflavored powdered gelatin. That's just, you know, in the States, that's just your Knox unflavored gelatin. No problem. Yes. I have not seen that here. They do something called a leaf gelatin, which is different. So I'm going to need to investigate if I can find the powdered, if I can't, how I go about modifying it to use the leaf gelatin. Okay. I was worried about that as well. And I thought um, a couple of things. I thought perhaps using that agar agar powder if you had that. Yeah, good point. Because gelatin's not vegetarian, I know that's what a lot of vegetarians substitute. I also saw there's something called Irish moss. Oh. Have you ever heard of that? Well, it sounds so delightful. (laughs) I know. And it sounds like it's kind of a a thickening agent. I wonder if it's sort of a, almost like a guar gum or something. So anyway, um, investigate away on that one. I am so curious to see how this particular one turns out. And listeners, I am really hoping that you guys bake along with us on this one because it just sounds so different and so fun. So again, that's the butterscotch pie with curry crust. And remember, we will have links to that recipe on our website, which is preheatedpodcast.com. And we'll also have that up on our Pinterest and Facebook pages. So love to see your pictures always, listeners. Stefan, what do you think is the most challenging thing we hear from our listeners about baking pie at home? Pie crust, for sure. A very popular intimidation station. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. But fear no more, because we've got you covered. Friends of the podcast Pie Provisions has a pie crust mix that provides the ingredients and the know-how for you to make perfect pie crust every time in the comfort of your own home. It's so great. You know, so many people, they don't even try pie because they're uh, so afraid of making the crust. That just completely stops them. It's true. But with the Pie Provisions pie crust mix, you have an easy-to-prepare recipe ready to go, just right in your pantry. Loyal listeners know one of my all-time favorite pies is the chocolate chess pie we made back in episode 16. Um, Basically, it's just a big old brownie in a pie. (laughs) And uh, this weekend, I made the chocolate chess pie using the pie provisions pie crust mix. And oh my gosh, so good and so easy. All you have to do is add butter and water and boom, you've got your perfect pie crust. So you guys can head on over to the pie provisions website. It's pieprovisions.com. That's P-I-E-P-R-O v-i-s-i-o-n-s dot com and use the promo code PHPI, that's all caps, PHPI, to order up your own pie crust mix or any of their other fabulous stuff, all with a 25% discount. You won't be sorry. Pie Provisions is also giving one of our lucky listeners an amazing gift basket. It's filled with special goodies. So check out our preheated Facebook group and comment on the Pie Provisions post for a chance to win. Andrea, our first lesson in this month of pie school, we're going to start at the bottom, quite literally, and talk about the crust. It is so crucial, as we've just talked about. It is the thing that really can stop folks from making pie. And you and I, over the years, have gone back and forth on recipes, on techniques, 
everything else. So we just wanted to share with with listeners what's working for us right now. And uh, you have a good friend, and you've shared her recipe many times. Are you still using Mary Beth's uh, pie crust? I do. I call it Mary Beth's reliable pie crust because it really does work for me every time. Um, She throws in an egg and uh, a little bit of vinegar, which makes both of those make it really easy for rolling. Yep. It has a nice, beautiful color. It has um, either a mixture of, I like to use leaf lard and butter, but you can also make it with all butter. And bonus, you can do it in the food processor and you can even do it right away. You don't have to chill it, which is just shocking to me. It is. So that is one I continue to reach for. I've gone back and forth with my crust. I, for years, was using a straight Crisco crust. That's how I was taught to make pie crust. That's what I I did for years and years. I then changed to Ina Garten's recipe, and that is a combination of vegetable shortening and butter and I did that for years and then recently when we did our Amish apple dumplings that was back in episode like 46 I think 45 46 and that was a Crisco crust with also the addition of the vinegar and I found that made such a great crust I've been doing yes that Mm -hmm. from now on even though here in the UK I have to buy Crisco for the equivalent of like $15 so (laughs) oh no and it's much too big to like have someone and b- big and heavy to have someone kind of send it to me. So I just I have to grin and bear it. But <laughs> there you go. Anything for a good pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that crust. That one was really good. The other thing that I wanted to throw out in terms of crust is the idea if if the idea of kind of rolling out the crust and making these beautiful edges and all that is kind of scary for you, you might want to think about making pie bars instead of a traditional pie in a nine-inch circle. Um, it can be a little bit easier on the crust side of things. I mean, obviously, you'll need to ingest your ingredient ingredients, uh, usually about one and a half times your regular recipe um, if you're going to put it in a 9 by 13 pan. If you make it in an 8 by 8 pan, then um, I tend to just use the exact same recipe that I would use for a, a nine-inch circle, and it works out just fine. I put my parchment paper in the pan first, and so it lifts out very nicely, and that way I don't have to worry about making beautiful edges. And what's really helpful about this is if you're making a pie that's really rich, you might recall our peanut butter pie we talked about in episode 60. I made pie bars on this one um, instead of a traditional pie. So think about making bars if you've got a rich pie recipe and you, and you want to maybe scale it down a little bit to smaller pieces. Yeah, it does get to the point with a rich pie that the sliver of pie is so kind of absurd that it it's it's not doable. And so making it into a bar, um, that's a really good point. I, I think something else that kind of freaks people out is if, you know, they're they're putting their crust into either a, a pan or a pie pie tin and you know it starts to tear or it's they're stretching yes. it or this or that mm-hmm. well you know what with with very with some exceptions if you're doing like a blind bake or something and we're going to talk about that later in the month patch it no one's going to see the bottom of your pie like never worry about that you can that's right you can mm-hmm. take some off the sides and put it over here and uh, I think my pies are almost you know 99 percent of the time look like a patchwork quilt and I'm the only one who knows that 
Yes. Um, never be afraid. Never be afraid to to mix and match with with the with your dough as you're doing that yeah. as well. That's a really good point. I often often think of my pies as jigsaw. You know, and I'll sometimes yeah. even say, "Oh, this is a real jigsaw crust," because for whatever reason, on that particular day, you know, the humidity or the flour that I was using, perhaps I didn't have enough water or I had too much water, and I did get some tearing. And yeah, you just have a little bowl of cold water nearby. You can dip your finger in it. You put that water on wherever the tear is and then place another piece right over it and that water acts like glue and we'll put that new piece over your crack and you're fine and no one will ever be the wiser. The other thing that I hope we do a good job of illustrating this month is there's so many other kinds of crusts. So you you have your kind of traditional uh, flour, water, and some kind of fat crust. But, you know, our uh, butterscotch pie that we just talked about, that's a cookie crumb crust. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are doing a a savory pie later on that's more like a biscuit crust. Uh, And so there's there's different ways and and you can can find such a a variety of recipes that if you want to ease into it with a cookie crust or another kind, you know, I've seen pies that just have cut out biscuits on top, a single crust pie. Uh, you know, play around with that too. There's there's nothing that says your pie has to have a top and a bottom and that's the only way to, to make a pie. One of my favorites we haven't talked about in a while, um, again, hearkening back to episode 16, was your key lime pie. And you did that one with a shortbread crust. I'm very particular. I love key lime pie and often a key lime pie has a graham cracker crust, but mm-hmm. I love Uh, using a shortbread cookie for the crust so yeah that's right crush that up with butter and you got it I do want to mention blind baking you referred to it briefly so for listeners who are new to baking pie crust blind baking or maybe par baking is maybe how some people refer to it it's the process of baking your crust ahead of time without the filling in it because perhaps you're going to put a cream filling like a chocolate cream pie or a banana cream pie in there that doesn't really need baking it just needs you know to set up so you pre-bake your crust and one of the key parts of blind baking is finding a way to weight down your crust so it doesn't puff up and there's a couple of traditional methods a lot of people use beans just dried beans and they'll put those in the bottom of their crust Um, Stefan I think you have had a lot of experience with the pie weights I do use the pie weights and there's different varieties of these some are loose so they're kind of like BBs a little Mm -hmm. larger BB Uh, mine are like a necklace uh, they're on a chain and so I have a few of those <laughs> and they do a fine job of weighing down the bottom. Andrea the problem that I always encounter with blind baking is that my sides then the sides. they they fall they down. Slump. They yeah. slump. Mm-hmm. And I think it was mm-hmm. when we did pie school last year in February I think it was listener Roxanne and she said well go ahead and keep using your pie weights you just need more of them. Like you have to right. have enough of whatever you're using to hold back the sides. And so I thought that was a really good reminder that the weight is not just weighing it down, it's weighing it to the side as well and pushing that against the pie plate. Yeah, you're not just doing a thin layer of beans on the bottom. You're filling that whole pie pan with those beans so that it's all the way, just like you would imagine your filling is going to fill your pie, your pie weight should fill your pie. My newest favorite thing to use for blind baking comes straight from one of our listeners, listener 
Andrea or Andrea in Germany, and she is the one who had suggested using sugar. That's right. The toasted sugar. The toasted sugar. So obviously, first, before you put your pie weights in, I should have mentioned this, you're you're going to put a piece of foil between your crust and whatever it is you're putting the... um, Or parchment, too. Or parchment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would work. Um, I think at one of our listeners, it might have been listener Amy, might have mentioned one time forgetting to put that sheet and putting the beans or the weights directly on the crust. Yep. (laughs) Having to pull those out, that would be an unpleasant task. So... Make sure you line your pie crust first before you put your weights in. And so then you can put in the sugar and then you end up with toasted sugar when you're done. And I thought this was such a neat hack. And I love toasted sugar. I love to sprinkle it on top of banana bread or pumpkin bread or, you know, kind of in the morning you can take a piece of toast and put a little bit of butter on it and then put that toasted sugar on it. I just think it's a great, great use of something you already have in your pantry. And that you're already having to do. I mean, the problem with pie uh, beans, if there is a problem, is that you can't then cook those beans. You're just sacrificing right. them to pie weights. It's something that changes about the chemistry. You would not be able to to boil them. And and a point that those are dried beans, not like out of a can or something. Right. Um, but with the sugar, you're actually then baking something additionally. It's great two for one. Yeah, it really comes in handy. So. That is sort of a quick review of some of our pie school basics around crust that we've learned. And listeners, we would love it if you would post in our Facebook group and let us know some things you've learned over the last year about crust and what some of your tricks and crust hacks and tips are. And I think we can all learn from each other on this particular topic. Absolutely. Stefan, have you ever heard of the phrase a short dough? Well, it sounds familiar. It sounds maybe like a biscuit dough or something short makes me think like you can whip it up really quickly. Am I anywhere near the definition? <laughs> you're, you're close. Okay. Um, yeah, you want to think about it. Let's uh, go and step into the language lab and we'll talk real briefly about short dough. So a short dough is um, what I think of for pie crust. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. I also think of a short dough when I think of short bread. So basically in a short dough, you've got a half fat to flour ratio. So basically you've okay. got twice as much flour as fat by weight. And um, the reason this came to mind for me, I was in a baking class a couple of weekends ago, and the chef who was teaching us, Annie Moss from the Sea Star Bakery in Portland, she told us why a short dough was called a short dough, which I kind of thought to myself, oh, I've never thought about the why behind it. I mean, why isn't it called a fat dough or a flour dough or, you know, that kind of thing. Right, yes. And so she taught us that the reason it is called short is because fats literally shorten the strands of gluten. And so when you're baking something like bread, you don't have a lot of fat in it. And so you can develop those long, chewy strands of gluten that are really great in bread or in pizza crust. But when you're making a pie crust or a shortbread, you've got a lot of that fat in it. And so the gluten stays short. And so I just thought that was so fun to learn that little piece of information. I love this. I was going to have this little surprise for you, and I still do, but now it actually takes on more significance because something makes more sense to me. Oh, interesting. Are you ready? I am going to read you a little passage. It is excerpted from a wonderful essay, the title of which is called Praise the Lard and Pass the Flaky Pie Crest (laughs) from the Old Farmer's Almanac of 1991, and the author is Susan Peary. 
and you are a leaf lard pie crust person. So here we go. Once upon a time and long ago BC, before cholesterol, when pigs were plump and pie crusts were short, uh. lard was the fat of choice for many people. Some people have never forgotten. Cooks in fancy restaurants and farm kitchens alike know that judicious use of lard in such products as pie crusts and biscuits produces a superior product. If you have a favorite biscuit, donut, or pie crust recipe using butter or another shortening, and you wish to convert it to lard, remember this rule of thumb. Use four-fifths as much lard as butter. Use only three-fourths as much lard as solid vegetable shortening. Count the calories saved as another plus for lard. <laughs> Spend those calories on your second piece of pie. I love it. Oh, that is perfect. I love I love when she said when pigs were plump. That's so cute. And crusts were short. So now we know that it's because <laughs> the gluten doesn't develop and it's it's short. It truly is. Yay. <laughs> well, and it was really fun when I was researching this. Um, you might recall back on episode five over a year ago, we talked about calibrating our ovens. And yeah. as you and I were both uh, looking into articles, on that particular topic, there was a lot of controversy from different people around calibration. And funnily enough, I found controversy around why a short dough is called short. So many of the people listed the reason that I just gave, but I found one the other day that said, short dough is called short dough because it is not tall. Plain and simple, end of story. <laughs> and, you know, he, he, this man who wrote this was just saying, you know, basically it's, it's the same thing. Those gluten networks don't develop. And typically when they develop, that's what traps steam in a pastry and that's what makes it puff up. And so since you don't have that puffing up, you've got a short dough. And I just think it's uh, so much fun to look into the origins of these words and, and what people used to say and, how they refer to things now so I love the language lab I love the language lab so listeners if you if you've got any ideas behind a short dough or how you refer to it I think that would be fun if we could hear from you guys what you thought it was or if you'd ever used that phrase before yeah, now that we've had an essay on lard if anyone has an essay on vegetable shortening <laughs> my preferred fat please send that in too <laughs> Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling racks. We hope you got a taste of sweetness, because next week we're flipping the switch and introducing a British pork, apple, and cider pie, because we think nothing says Valentine's Day like a savory treat. We'll also review our butterscotch curry pie and see if that unique flavor combination passed muster in our kitchens. Thanks to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. Remember, you can find Anne-Marie at annemarierussell.com or download her on iTunes or Amazon. You can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, and New This Month, we've got accounts on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those use the handle preheatedpod, so please follow us and check out our posts there. And if you like our show, please do tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google or iTunes. It really does help listeners find us when they see reviews from people who are regular listeners from the show and give some feedback on what they enjoy about it. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Reheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.